Can you hear me? I'm kind of a loud mouth anyway. I thought maybe I'd get away with it, but they wanted me to use a microphone. <laughs> Back about 2006, we went down to see our son in uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas. And uh, I'm a early riser, and their family is late sleepers. And I got up that morning, and I went out on the driveway, and I got the newspaper, and I've got the copy of it here with me. And Gideons don't advertise. You'll never see an advertisement anywhere for the Gideons. Uh, we do everything by word of mouth and by God's grace. And uh, so that's who the Gideons are. But that day I brought that paper in and I unfolded it. And the bottom half of the front page was an article about the Gideons. And it just shocked me to no end because I know we don't advertise. And it started out, I like the way it started out. It said... Uh, before cable television, before spa uh, treatments, and uh, before eco-friendly soaps, there was a Bible that was in a hotel in a motel room. And those Bibles came from the Gideons. <laughs> and it was a Gideon Bible with the, uh, with the torch and the uh, double-handled pitcher on it. And he said, you know, I'm going to tell you more about this because it doesn't look like they're going anywhere anytime soon. And this was our centennial celebration of when we started putting Bibles in hotels and motels. And that was a result of a, a church union up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, furnished the Bibles, and we put them in hotels and motels up there. And that was the beginning of our ministry as, as doing that. And uh, there was a young man by the name of Elliot Osowitz that gave him a testimony in this paper to go with this uh, announcement of the celebration. And Elliot is a, uh, he was at this time was a 59-year-old pastor in uh, North Carolina. And, uh, but he used to work in the tourist industry. And it was a very loose uh, job he had and very immoral most of the time. And this went on for a few years and his wife put up with it. And, but he came home on Christmas of uh, 1996 and his clothes were sitting outside the door and all his belongings. And his wife uh, excused him from the house, and so he was no longer with her, and it depressed him a great deal. And he went to a motel room with a gun with every intention of shooting himself. And he got in that motel room, and he looked around, and there was a Bible laying on the TV. And he thought, we don't need that. And he grabbed that Bible, and he threw it. And he hit the door with it and landed on the floor, and he landed open. And... Uh, he said it was like an invitation for him to come and read it, and he said it didn't do that, so he kicked it, and it hit the box bottom of the bed and fell back on the floor open again. <laughs> and he leaned down, and he picked that Bible up, and he started uh, 
he was going to throw it, that's what he was going to do with it, but he picked it up and he got to looking at it, and it was in the book of John, and he said it made me stop and it made me cry. And he said, I sat down and I gave my life to Jesus Christ that night. He said, I went from being a Jewish person to a Christian. And he said, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And he said, I became a Southern Baptist minister. And uh, during that time, his daughter had gone to the penitentiary. And he said, you know, this, not only did his marriage fall apart, but he felt like he failed as a father also. But God took hold of him and lifted him up. And uh, he's still a pastor today. And we give God the glory for that. And uh, I have, uh, as I said, it really shocked me at no end. They were telling about it. But I remember uh, the one billionth Bible we gave to President George Bush, young George Bush, in 2001, after, right after 9-11. And we've been distributing Bibles. Uh, we, we used to put a lot of... Pre uh, importance on numbers but we're trying to change that and uh, but they told in here that we have probably uh well we've got thousands of testimonies that come into the central office in nashville and uh, i've got a good one here that's uh some of them are on dvds and so we're allowed to use them and i've got one here that i got my fingers on uh, there's several of them on here i used one last year that was a uh, an army officer that uh, uh, had a testimony and I used I've used it two years in a row and Bob, I told Bobby last year I said they heard it last year and he said it's okay there's new people here he said they need to see it again so last year we played it the second time and I thought I better have you a new one this year but this lady here I happen to listen to her testimony and she likes to think she was like the old uh, rock and roll singer Cher and uh, so but anyway she's got quite a testimony can we play that Please. <clears throat> I was raised in the church. I knew about Jesus. Well, I know about Prince William, too. I don't know him. There's a big difference between knowing about somebody and knowing them, isn't there? I got married right out of high school. It was a bad marriage. We had three children. It ended in 1968. I left Florida, went back to my hometown of Oklahoma City, started looking for work. I found a job illustrating children's reading books, bringing home $65 a week. And of course, that wasn't going to make enough, so I had to work a second job. And I always thought I could sing, but I wasn't sure I could do it professionally. But starvation will give you a lot of courage. So I auditioned, and uh, much to my shock, they hired me. And so there I was, Oklahoma City's new jazz queen. And uh, so I was working two jobs and it's kind of hard to raise a family when you're never there. I was never home. And my girls began to get in trouble. And it just went on and on, and it was bad. 
I sent my son, Tommy, back to his dad, who'd remarried down in Florida, thinking it would just be a short amount of time till I got those girls straightened out. Well, they didn't get straightened out. They went to prison, both of them. And it was a hard time for all of us. Well, some time went by. They got out and kind of went their own separate ways. And by then, I had put a show band together. And I looked just like Cher in those days. Can you dig it? And uh, I hit the road with my band. My two brothers got very sick about that time. My oldest brother, Don, was a dentist in Birmingham, Alabama, and he got multiple sclerosis. And my brother, Jim, was a plant manager with Union Carbide, and he got leukemia. And instead of becoming bitter, both of them turned their lives over to Jesus Christ. And they started praying for me. Guess you know what that does. Put me on the holy hit list. And as I traveled, I literally lived in hotel rooms and motel rooms, sometimes two and three weeks at a time. Guess what's in all those hotel rooms? Bibles placed by the Gideons. Thank God for you Gideons. And when you're looking for answers, you'll pick those things up. And I was definitely looking for answers, and so I began to pick them up. And of course, we all know the Bible's the only book in the world where every time you open it, the author shows up. <laughs> and he showed up. Can you, can you imagine the Holy Spirit on the road with a rock band? He was there. Aren't you glad he doesn't care who he hangs out with? Thank God. And so I would open it up, and he'd show up, and he would minister to my heart through the Word of God, quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And that Word began to work in my heart. And I read a scripture in John 3, just below John 3:16, where it said, Men love the darkness because their deeds are evil, and that scared me because for the first time in my life I realized I was in darkness, and I did not have that light I had been reading about, and that scared me, and that put me on my knees in a Holiday Inn in Owensboro, Kentucky, crying my eyes out. And I asked the Lord to forgive me of all my sins and to come into my heart. And he wasted no time at all. He'd been waiting for that prayer for 38 years. And I got up off my knees, a brand new little baby Christian, didn't have a clue as to what to do next, so I did what I always did, went right back down on the stage. And I got down there and I looked around and first thing I said was, how come it's so dark in here? It wasn't any darker than it always been. It's just that the light of the world had moved in. And when he crawls up from behind your eyes and he's looking around, nothing looks the same ever again. And the second thing I noticed, and this is kind of weird, I loved everybody in the room. I thought, what am I supposed to do with this? I thought, well, maybe a loving thing would be to tell them what I'd learned, which wasn't much, it was more they knew. So I started telling everybody in the nightclub about Jesus. And that went over like a screen door in a submarine, I'll tell you right now. 
They really didn't want to hear it. Isn't that funny? The thing we need to hear the most is the thing we want to hear the least. But I couldn't help myself because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that was big in my heart, so that's what came out of my mouth. Well, that got me fired. And that happened in San Angelo, Texas in August of 1977. And I left my band, left a message for them not to ever try to find me, not to look me up. And I went out and got in my car and said a little prayer. I said, Lord, I don't know what you want with me, but from this day forward, you have my undivided attention. He sure had, I sure had his undivided attention on that cross. And I started driving north. I figured I'd hit Oklahoma somewhere. I didn't know where to go, so I started praying about that. And pretty soon, I started getting this kind of homesick feeling for Lawton, Oklahoma, where I graduated from high school in 1957. I'll wait while you all count it up. <laughs> I had no reason to go back there. I had not communicated with any of my classmates in 20 years. My parents didn't live there anymore. But I just longed to look up my best friend in high school, Catherine Stanley. So I got there, and I looked her up, and she invited me to come over and spend the night. And as I drove over there, I thought, she's going to think I'm crazy. She's going to ask me what I'm doing here. I don't know what I'm doing here. First words out of her mouth, well, what are you doing here? And all I have is the truth, so I started telling her everything that happened to me, and pretty soon she let that with a great big, well, praise the Lord, like to scare me to death. <laughs> this is great. I'm going to have all the ladies in the church come over and meet you in the morning. <laughs> I said, oh, swell. I was not thrilled. I didn't think I had the clothes to meet the ladies in the church. You know that one? Hello? Well, all I had was tight jeans and a t-shirt with something stupid written on it. It was either that or something wild and glittery that I wore on the stage, and I thought, wonder which one I ought to put on. So I found my least tight jeans and my least stupid saying on my t-shirt and brushed out that long black chair hair, came walking out, scared to death. And I just stopped in the hallway and said a little prayer. I said, oh, Jesus. Please let them love me. Little basic need we all have. So I took the big plunge. I stepped into that kitchen, and those ladies turned around, and they looked at me, grinning like a bunch of horses eating briars, you know, just... <laughs> and they just loved me, thank God. If they ever saw that stupid saying on my T-shirt, they were very careful, never let me see their eyes traveling across it. And they came over and put their arms around me and welcomed me into the family of God. And for the first time in my life, I understood what the church was all about. Because Jesus said, they'll know you by your love. And these ladies personified the love of Jesus Christ. And this one lady was so cute, she comes up, I just can't wait to hear you testify. <laughs> I said against two. 
See, my daddy was a judge. I knew what that meant. <laughs> and they left, and we had a nice time, and I told Kathy, I need to call my kids. And I, my first prayer after I came to Christ was, Lord, please let me have all my children back. I got my daughter Mindy on the phone, and she invited me to come to Greenville and start my new life with her. And so I went to Greenville, found a job, found a church, began living my new life in front of my child, and I blew it sometimes. I'm backslided and blew it sometimes. Anybody else blown it yet? Wow, what a holy group. I bet y'all just glow in the dark, don't you? Anybody else blown it yet? like every day, right? Especially with this. My daughter April came to Greenville, moved in with us, started going to church with us. She gave her heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. My son came to live with me. He gave his heart to Jesus. And my granddaughter is now in Connecticut with her husband planting a church up there. And all my children, my grandchildren, all because of some busy men called Gideons placing Bibles in motel rooms. Thank you. I guess no matter how many times I see that, I still cry. <laughs> She gets to me. As a token of our appreciation to Tempe for sharing her personal testimony, we have for you an engraved. Gideons are Christian businessmen, Christian professional men, and Christian farmers who have one thing in common. We want to see every man, woman, boy, and girl in the world come to a saving knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We do that with the distribution of the Word of God and with, the, uh, with our own personal testimonies. And uh, we place Bibles in uh, hotels and motels hospitals, uh, schools, colleges, nursing homes, doctor's offices, dentist's offices, lawyer's offices, sheriff's offices, highway patrol offices, uh, fire stations, jails, and prisons, and especially the armed forces. And the armed forces have been one of our big ones for the last few years. But uh, we're so blessed. And after 9-11, we even put them in airplanes. And... Uh, God has so blessed this ministry. He really has. And some of our uh, group got together and they printed up some core values of the Gideons. And they're pretty much what it takes to be a Gideon. It's, uh, it pretty much says it all. So uh, you have to believe that the Bible is the infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God. And you have to believe in Jesus Christ as a virgin born, eternal son of God. 
and you have to believe, uh, receive the Jesus as your personal Savior, endeavor to serve him daily, and uh, you, you got to believe in the eternal lake of fire for the unsaved, and you have to be a member of an evangelical church or uh, organization. And uh, we have our Gideon Auxiliary, which meets the same requirements as us Gideons meet. And that's our wives. And we give God the glory for that. Uh, that testimony you just heard is just an example of, of what we get. I mean, we can, we've got them playing on the, the uh, computer all the time if you can if you can get in there and get them out I'm not real computer savvy so I don't get to listen to too many of them but uh, they're on there all the time and uh, I just uh, it's been such a privilege to me because I first off I never thought I'd ever be a Gideon and then when they came and asked me to be one it kind of floored me just a little bit and I've been one now for about what 23 years Butch <laughs> you've been there about as long as I have haven't you and, well, you came in shortly after I did. Uh, we have an extended action program with the Gideons where uh, they go out to other countries, and they'll get anywhere from two dozen to now it's, it's more than that because we're allowed to take our wives on these extended action programs. But we've got a young man in our uh, midst, uh, Ted Kane, and Ted's been on two of these. And he went to the Philippines. Uh, it was four years ago this month, I believe, that he went to the Philippines. And believe it or not, in two weeks, they distributed a million and a half Bibles, uh, New Testaments and Bibles. And uh, he's got some stories to tell. And he just got back here in November. He went to Ghana in Africa and got to be on a scripture blitz down there. And uh, I don't think the shape I'm in that I'm up to doing one of those, but it sure sounds like it would be a great time if a guy could. Uh, I'm not going to keep you too long. I do have a couple testimonies I'd like to share with you. Uh, Ted Keel, Todd Keel, excuse me, was a young man in California, and he lived on the beach, and or he lived on in an ocean town, and he was a lifeguard at the beach, and he became a friend of a, a homeless man by the name of Walter, and they kind of looked out for each other, and uh, he said that uh, he. he he, they, well, he was he, he just didn't really socialize with him, but he saw him every time he was down at the beach, it seemed like, and then he went for a period where he didn't see him. But uh, His folks decided they would move up the coast a ways, and uh, so they were in the process of getting everything packed up and moving, and he went back down to the beach, and, and uh, he, Walter came by, and he said, I just wanted to stop and let you know. He said, I... I was at a revival the other night, and he said the Holy Spirit got hold of me, and I gave my life to Christ. And he said shortly after that, I met and ran into a group of men, and they gave me two New Testaments. And he said one of them was for me to read, and the other one was for me, for me to give to a friend. And he held it out. Walter held it out to him. And Todd said, I took it, and he said, I thanked him for it. I hate to tell you, but he said, I went home, and I put it in a box and forgot about it. And he said they left there, and they moved up the coast, and, and uh, he said he got busy in the church. He was teaching a youth class, and he was a, a part-time pastor, and he's a part-time school teacher. And so he said, I was busy in the work of God, but he said, my Christian life really wasn't growing. 
and he said it kind of bothered me a little because it wasn't growing. And he said, I uh, got to telling a friend of mine about it. And he said, well, you know, you like to run. He said, why don't you try running and associate that with, with getting closer to God? And so he did. And he said, uh, he, got, he went outside of town and he said there was a hill and it was uh, elevated for three miles. And he said he got to run in that hill and it was in the hills of Northern California. And he said, I got to run in that hill. He said, I really liked it. And I thought about it. You know, I ought to take a Bible up there, and at the top of the hill I could stop and study. But he said, I can't see how I could carry a Bible up that hill running like I do. So he, he kept thinking about it, and finally it dawned on him. He had that little orange testament that Walter had given him. So he took that little New Testament with him, and sure enough, he got up there, and he got to spending some time up there reading that New Testament. He ran three days a week for two and a half years. And he had that Bible up there, and he buried it in a, in a hole there by a tree, and he put it in a plastic bag, getting some pens. And he said, I put my thoughts down, and I put my ideas down, and I put what I was learning from the Word of God down on that, in the paper and in that book. And he said, this just came from two and a half years, and he said, my folks decided they'd move to the San Francisco area. And he said, so we were going to go with them. And, but he said everything that happened to him he had in that, in that New Testament. And he thought, well, this, you know, they got everything packed and ready to go. And he said, I've got time for one more run. So he ran up there to get his Bible. And he got up there, and he said, and no sooner turned the corner and looked over there underneath that tree, and he said, there was a fresh hole dug. And he said, I went over there, and my Bible was gone. And he said, it really, really disturbed me. And he said, I just, I couldn't hardly deal with it. He said, we went ahead and moved, and he said, I got busy in the church again, and, and he said, for about five years, he said, I just, uh, uh, it still ate on me, the fact that that Bible was gone. And, uh, but he said, got a phone call from a guy, well, it was, yeah, a guy named Hector. And uh, Hector said, uh, is this Todd Keel, pastor? He said, yes. And he said, uh, uh, I've got your Bible. He said, I thought I'd call and tell you about it. And he said, no, you can't have my Bible. I've got my Bible. And he said, no, no, the little orange one. And he said, that really sparked my interest. And he said, I got to thinking about it. So he said, uh, let me tell you about that Bible. He said, that Bible got my, my dad got hold of that Bible. He was in prison, one of the state prisons. And he said, uh, a fellow prisoner had that Orange Testament. He didn't have the story of how he got it. But anyway, he said he shared that Bible and the writings that Todd had done in that Bible, and he said uh, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he said that prisoner had done the same thing, and he got out early. And he said when he did, he gave that New Testament to my dad, and my dad started a, a class on, on having church right there in the prison. And he said hundreds of men come to that Bible study, and he said they gave their soul to Jesus Christ with that little New Testament. He said, Dad got out of prison. He said, he gave me that New Testament. And he said, I got to reading your writings, and I got to reading that New Testament. He said, I gave my soul to Christ too. And he said, I just wanted to call you and tell you, you can have that New Testament back now if you want it. And Todd told him, he said, I don't think I'm ready for it yet. He said, why don't you just keep it and see if it won't do some more good down the line. So he said he went another 10 years, and he said he got a phone call. And he said the, the man called him, and he was from the Bay Area. And he said, uh, I just wanted to call and tell you that uh, I've got your, your little Bible here. And he said, 
There's five names written inside that book that have accepted Christ because of this little New Testament. And he said, we're still using it. And he said, uh, I wanted to ask you a few questions. So he got to asking him questions about the stuff that he had written in there. And he said, you said that the word of God is like a sword that can penetrate a man's heart. And he said, is that true? God said, yes, it is. He said, have you got a son? And he said, yes. He said, what's his name? He said, Nicholas. He said, how old is he? And he said, he's 21 years old now. He said, you know, that's funny. He said, I've been praying for him all these years. He said, I just, I can't get over praying for him. And, uh, but that's where the story ended. Uh, I guess he was going to send it back to him. I don't know, but it didn't, it didn't tell us that in the, in the testimony. But uh, it, He thanked the Gideons for that Bible, the one that was given to uh, Walter on the beach and uh, he said the good that that Bible done and the, and the life of that Bible you know that always impresses me I hear stories about these New Testaments and what they've done and and uh, it just it touches my heart I've got a couple short ones here we do about them extended action programs we had a uh, trip to the Dominican Republic here last year in the fall and <coughs> got some short testimonies that come out of that. Uh, there was a guy named Marino, and he was in the hospital. And the Gideons, whenever they're on these things, they go to hospitals and everywhere, and they go in and talk to the patients and, and testify to them and everything. And they got in there and they was talking to Marino. And his family asked him to uh, pray for him, to have him. And uh, the Gideons said he just went ahead and followed the Holy Spirit and what it was leading him to do and he went over instead of praying for him he got out his New Testament and he started reading about the section of helps in the front and the plan of salvation in the back and he finally asked Marino if he would like to accept Jesus Christ as his personal savior and Marino said he would and his two daughters had been there listening to the Gideon while he was testifying to Marino and he said you know uh, they, they said they would like to accept Jesus Christ also so he had the opportunity of leading those three people to Jesus Christ that afternoon. And uh, again, that's the power of that little New Testament and what God can do if you let him. And uh, we just praise God for that. And there was another young man named uh, Raymond, and uh, he was washing his truck. And uh, he got to talking to Gideon and asking him questions, and the Gideon got to talking to him, and he asked him about the New Testament. And and uh, he told him, showed him the New Testament, the section of helps and the plan of salvation. And there was two guys over on the other aisle that had been washing their vehicle, and they got to listening to him. And when he went to pray for Raymond here, he, uh, the two guys that were washing the truck there beside him said they'd like to join in that prayer. So we had three people give their life to Jesus Christ there at that car wash. And you just never know when you have these things, what they're going to do and, and how you're going to touch somebody. <coughs> and I want to tell you, uh, this last year we distributed, we'll be 120 years old officially in July of this year. Uh, it was, the Gideons were formed in 1899, and uh, we celebrate that every year. And But it's in July of 1899 that they were formed, and... and uh, will be 120 years old as of July of this year. Uh, last year we distributed 82.7 million Bibles uh, in 200 countries in 100 different languages. 
And uh, I'll be honest with you, it's such an honor for somebody like me to be part of the Gideon organization. And I read to you a while ago on these, uh, these programs that we have and uh, what it takes to be a Gideon. And that's what it would take to be a, a new Gideon. And if anybody's interested, but there's three things that you can do for the Gideon organization. The first thing, we do everything prayerfully. Uh, this meeting right here has been prayed for at least three times I know of, and that's on a Saturday morning prayer breakfast. And, uh, but we've, we've put a lot of prayer into coming to these churches, and, and this church has been a blessing to me. Uh, Bobby and I have been good friends for years, and, and I wouldn't take anything for that. And the church has been good, and, and uh, in fact, like Book said, I'm not that far from being one of you. <laughs> but, uh, and we just, we just don't know when it's going to happen. I said, they got, God's got to release me from where I'm at before I'm going to go anywhere. But uh, I do want to thank you all for the opportunity of coming and sharing the Gideon ministry with you. And like I say, there's three things you can do for us. You can pray for us, which we, we appreciate prayer. The second thing is the church offerings is what supports the Gideons. And uh, I didn't tell you about the cost of a Bible. Now, the Bibles themselves, the ones I use here, is $5. The New Testaments that we distribute are $1.35. And uh, we use a lot of those New Testaments. They go a lot of places. They, we use them in schools and colleges. And, um, so anyway, uh, the second thing is your offerings is what buys and distributes Bibles. And the third thing is, you heard what the qualifications were to be a Gideon. If any of you would like to be one, we'd like to talk to you. And with that, again, I want to thank you very much for the opportunity of being able to come and share with you guys. And Butch, you want to? Again, I want to thank you. God bless you all. I'll let you take that offering, okay? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Good work.